The passage which Brother Carpenter read earlier was Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus had died during the time that Jesus waited to come where He was. Jesus had been sent for, but in His own divine wisdom, and understanding that the purpose of God was the most important thing that was going to happen, Jesus delayed His coming as it would seem, and Lazarus died during that interim period. Much teachings done in John chapter 11. We learn much about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We learn much about the power of God. But the particular passage which I asked Brother Carpenter to read this morning had Jesus praying and saying that the Father always heard Him. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the prayers of Jesus. Jesus was a man of prayer. I cannot explain everything I'm getting ready to say, except I know it is substantiated by the Scripture. I can give you some doctrinal understanding of it, and I could talk to you in some detail, but yet it's a subject which goes beyond either the comprehension or the expression of the human mind. And that is a statement. Jesus Christ was God, and yet He became man without ceasing to be God. There's a lot about that. But while he was here, one of the things he did was showed us how to live the life that is a godly life and the life that follows the Lord. Jesus was a man of prayer. As God in the flesh, he showed us many examples of what a godly man should be. Prayer is one area which he exemplified time and again. So much so that after hearing him, his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And even as John also taught his disciples. Jesus Christ fully lived out the admonition which would show up later in Scripture that says in three succinct but powerful words, pray without ceasing. He lived that. He exemplified that. Uh, this morning we're going to be closely examining three different things about, three major things about Jesus as prayer and Jesus as a man of prayer. We're going to see His compassionate and comforting high priestly prayer. Jesus is our high priest, and I've taught that here, and I've showed you that and illustrated it. And You're newer to the church, newer to the Bible, you'll be taught about it as you continue to come, but Jesus literally is the one that goes on our behalf on a regular basis. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. I love to know that folks are praying, and I know it's meant a lot to Brother Keith that you all are praying for Him, but Christ actually prays for us. And so, John chapter 17, we'll be looking at that in a little while. Then we're going to look a little bit at his earnest and agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And lastly, uh, this powerful and provocative prayer on the cross. And Christ was there. Butchered and bloody, our substitute, our sins. Uh, paying the price for him there on the cross. And he prayed while he was there. Before we get there, I want to give you... A, couple other things to briefly consider because I want you to see the scope of this as far as Jesus being a man of prayer. Look in your Bibles in Mark chapter chapter 1. <coughs> Excuse me. wasn't losing what I was saying. I was trying not to cough directly to the lab mic there. Mark chapter 1. And these are just very brief. I just 
my purpose of bringing your attention is for you to get the scope of the idea that Jesus was a man of prayer. We can organize things and we try to do things well at our church and should. That's honoring to the Lord. God's business should not be run in a slipshod manner. But that's not where the power is. We can have all the structure in place that we want to, but we, we must have the Spirit of God in us, through us, and working among us. And prayer is so multifaceted in our relationship with God. And uh, I think it's probably a subject that any of us come to and we say we have much to learn in it. I've said to you before, just by way of trying to encourage you along your way as you grow in the Lord, I've found in my own Christian life now of uh, this next month, uh, 43 years, I have, I have found in my own Christian life, it was a lot easier for me early on and still it is an easier natural tendency for me to be a Bible studier and Bible reader than it is to have a disciplined prayer life. And uh, not excuse for any lack in that, but uh, I've, I've always been a reader, so reading's a natural thing. So I mean, that's not, that's not the case, and that doesn't mean you're not spiritual or anything, but it just it, it is something for me. But prayer, going to God, I, I'm very much raised, you just, you just get your hands dirty, get at it, and get it done. I'm still in favor of doing that. God, God hates lazy. Check it out in the Bible sometime. But when it comes to what God wants to do in people's lives and how God wants to manifest Himself in people, we're dependent on the Lord and we must learn to, to humble ourselves. One of the jarring things to me years ago, and it's been something I come back to to try to, try to best benefit and, and be what I ought to be before the Lord, is realizing that the greatest uh, hindrance I have in my life towards prayer is not busyness of schedule. It's not lack of things to pray for. It's pride. Not realizing or yielding to my actual dependence on the Lord. And in the recesses of mind, my, my mind, thinking my own strength and ingenuity can get me through what I need to do. Oh, I'm supposed to use what God's given me. Like I said earlier, God hates lazy. I'm supposed to. You know, you've been praying for a way out of a flood and a boat comes by, get in it. You know what I mean? But it's, uh, there's a lot to be learned about following the Lord. I'm glad. Think about that. We're going to learn more and more through eternity. We'll keep learning. We'll keep growing. That's awesome. That's what I love about the Lord. He's full of life. In John chapter 1, and uh, show you these quickly these things about it, I want you to find this verse because this thing is something that will get inside your soul. Talking about Christ after some very full days of ministering to people, after healing people and casting out devils late into the night. They didn't even come to Him until late in the evening. They didn't even approach to Him until then. It says in verse 35, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, He went out into a solitary place and there prayed. There in verse 35. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Um, When I look at that, I see in the morning that He put put a premium on starting the day with fellowship. And I believe we can learn and be instructed by that. Um, not just hitting ground the first thing. It, it, it's a shame if the uh, machine's the first attention of your morning. Um, may the Lord, may you talk to Him. I liked, I was talking to a member of our church and they said they like to start the day with greeting the Lord and thanking Him. Good morning, Lord. Thank you to have another day to live. Isn't that a good way to start? 
I like that idea. Um, that's good. We, we would like that kind of greeting just from people, wouldn't we? Somebody, you know, get out and say good morning. Acknowledge you. Know that you're glad they're there. I believe the Lord would like that from us. He went to a solitary place. and He didn't do that at all times. He prayed also when he was among people. It's interesting. One of the verses about him praying, which I'm not taking us to today, but it says that he was, he was among the disciples and there being alone. And uh, you could put you could put the thought on that lonely in the crowd. He was he was by himself, even though he had people around him, and he was he was talking to the Father at that time with it. And so a solitary place. Uh, can I can I give you something with that? Uh, that that's turning the notifications off. That's setting things aside. That's giving God some time where you're not doing this and looking at that. God's worthy of it. It's why, and I'm not angry certainly at anybody, I'm not even saying it's not a spiritual thing to do. It's why I tell you, and, and I'm glad so many of you do, I'm telling you, have a Bible, bring a Bible to church. You say, well, I got a Bible on my phone. You may, and you may do well with it. But however you need to set that, set it where you're not also getting notices come up about your text, about your business. We need to be a people who show reverence to our God. I'm afraid that Christian people, even us, are getting where the term God doesn't really mean a lot. You know the annoyance of trying to talk to somebody and they just keep looking away and they're distracted. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. By the way, your children know that too. You'll embitter them that way. It's a mistake. But the uh, our Heavenly Father, He says, really? You can't give my house the preaching of my word undivided attention for just a little bit of your time. We, we can do well. We ought to do well. Give God our attention. And so in the morning, a great while before day, a solitary place, and there he prayed. He actually talked to the Lord. He poured out his heart. He spoke to God about things. And I understand it's asking, but it's also a fellowship. It's also talking. It's communion with the Lord. It's a great time. And you know what? When you, The more you pray, you'll find out you may think you're starting to pray for one thing. God may direct you completely somewhere else. Or He may just slow you down and say, well, we're here. Let's talk about this. <laughs> I'll give you a funny illustration about that, but I'll, I'll wait for another time on that. So I want to hear it. Then you got to keep coming back to church. I'll tell you sometime, right? In Luke chapter 9, you have, I'm not turning this here, but you have the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus, while he was in pray, when he was in prayer, he was transfigured before them. His appearance actually changed. The clothes he had on became so brilliantly white, they always could look at him. And what happened was, what was being fulfilled, just a few verses before that, he had said to the crowd, he said, Some of you stand here. But shall not taste of death till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. People have had a problem with that verse, but then He immediately goes into this event happening. He showed them what the kingdom is. He literally appeared to them with that. There were two men that appeared when He was transfigured. That's the Bible word. He was changed over. Who were those two men? Who knows who they were? They were who? One starts with an E. I got to hear you. Elijah. And the other one was what? I believe representing the law and the prophets. It's a very amazing thing. And Jesus communed with them and talked to them and 
the three disciples that got to be there with him at that time uh, were quite overwhelmed by the whole thing, and then that cloud overshadowed them and said, "This is my beloved son. Hear ye him." And he and he talked about these things. What was happening in the singing of prayer? It, it took him into the realm of glory. Um, it took him into fellowship with those who had gone before. There is a sweetness of fellowship with those who have walked with God before, even those who are biblical people. I'm not saying you're going to see Elijah and Moses when you pray, but what I'm telling you is it takes you into a different realm. I'll give you a surface illustration of what I'm talking about because this is deeper. I have had occasion, especially when my wife and I used to take youth groups or places and stuff at an earlier time in our pastor, and we would be in a place where we would be on a property, we would be there for two, three, four days of meeting, singing the songs of God, involved in activities, preaching going on, no no input, no filthy music coming, nothing. Because see, the, the type of thing we would go to is Brother Carpenter and I have been exploring some things. The things we would be involved with are not places that are turning church into a rock and roll show. They're not going to be places where the Word of God is not preached. But they're places where young people can learn to follow their God. And as we'd be in there, and you would come out of that, and you would be, it would just be such a, a neat thing. Some of you have been along on those. And then you'd make that first stop on the trip home to get food or something. You'd walk in, and all the jarring nonsense that you hadn't been looking at for three or four days, you'd look at it, and you're like, oh my goodness. Wow. forgot about all that. Prayer can take you into a place where the many things that vex you that you have to confront, you have to see on a day-by-day basis in this world, there are many things uh, that it will restore you and it will take you into this realm of glory where you get to spend some time with the Lord. And it's a sweet time. It's a precious time. And let's not, let's not uh, in any way miss that. And then in Luke 22, it was interesting. Peter is going to be denying the Lord. Not very many verses past the one I marked. And Jesus told him. He said, Simon, Simon. He said, Satan has desired to have that he had thee that he may sift thee as wheat. You know why you sift wheat? You're preparing it so it can be made into something to eat. That's why you do that. That's that's part of that process. May I remind you, the Bible says our adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may... Remember the word? He said, Peter, he said, the devil's wanting to get you ready for lunch. And you're not going to be his guest. You're going to be his target. And then he made a statement. He said, well, Peter did end up denying him. He did. But I believe that Jesus' prayers get answered. And Jesus said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. That's why in John 21, when Jesus later, he comes after Peter goes fishing and six of the other disciples go with him. And then Peter, of course, I mean, Jesus rather had the fish ready on the seashore and and that wonderful thing happened. He asked Jesus, or asked Peter the question. Jesus asked Peter the question. Uh, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter could truthfully say, Yea, Lord, I love you. Why? Because even during the time when his behavior had been wrong, when his behavior had failed, his faith had not failed. He did follow to see what happened with Jesus. He still wanted to know. And he had some messed up decisions he made right there during that time of his life. But the core faith that Jesus is who he said he is, Jesus said, that's going to stand. 
Everything else may get stripped away from it. But that's going to stand. I'm talking about Jesus' prayer life. Now these things are, are instructive, but let's look at John 17 and let me show you these things I wanted to give you a little detail about today. John chapter 17. And the first one, as I mentioned to you, is Jesus' what we would call His high priestly prayer. He's interceding. This is before He's going to be crucified. And um, as He's preparing, Jesus was always preparing those who follow Him. By the way, He'll prepare you too. One... one uh, Sure sign of that you're on track following the Lord is it's a uh, it's thought through prepared things, right? Because that's how the Lord leads us. That's what He does. Look at it in John chapter 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son that Thy Son may glorify Thee. I recently preached to you on uh, let. His glory be our glory. The purpose of Jesus being glorified was to glorify the Father. As thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given Him. So how does God determine who He gives to Christ? Very easy and simple. In the Bible, it's revealed. Book of Acts, early on, it's what Paul said he preached. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to God in a true heart of repentance. You come to God acknowledging, admitting the fact that you are a sinner before God. And that you t- if you take responsibility for your responsibility of what's wrong in your life and decisions you've made, then you're prepared to be given. That's the heart that the Lord will work on. Verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. That's what Christ did while He was here. Made Him known. Made people see I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It's kind of funny. I was at, uh, up at the Wigwam restaurant up there in Canal Winchester. My wife and I hadn't been there in a good while. And uh, some of you remember Alan came down here and spoke to our men's meeting. I may remember him coming down. He's the fellow that was at the Pentagon when the plane came in. And, and he was one of the firefighters right there. He was so close to it that the tip of the wing of the plane actually took out the back of the fire truck where he'd been, where he'd been servicing there. And uh, Alan's an interesting fellow, and he came over and saw us. He came over, we hadn't seen each other in a while. He sits down with us, and I looked at him, and I said, Alan, you're an intelligent man, I can tell that. And he goes, how's that, Pastor Randy? And I said, you always sit by my wife and not me. I said, you're a smart guy. And so he laughed. He goes, well, you better look at that's for sure. And we're talking a minute. I'm going out, and we're getting ready to go out and pay. And it was, it was on a Friday, and we'd stopped in up there. And so I was dressed nicely, but not in suit and stuff. We were, my wife and I were out doing some things. And uh, he stops, and you remember Alan's not a bashful fellow? And he just stops, everybody, just like this. Or Bill Wigwam. And it was crowded in there. I thought, what's he doing? He goes, this is the best pastor in Fairfield County. And uh, I wanted to say to him, why aren't you in the church, man? Uh, but, <laughs> come on, Alan, give me a break. Um, I, a PR man, I told him, I just told folks, I said, he's my PR man. We pay him to do this, and folks were laughing. Um, he was going. He came here. You treated him well. He loved our children. He loved the good questions that were asked. He was absolutely, he talked to me over and over again how much it encouraged him that they were polite, respectful, looked him in the eye, talked to him. Those are great things. But here's the thing about it. He said, oh, I want people to know about this fellow. How much more that we make our Heavenly Father known? And Christ said, my whole purpose here on earth 
was to make my Father known and make Him known uh, to everyone. So that's what He does. And when Christ lives in us, that becomes our desire is to make our Heavenly Father known. Every now and then I'll see someone and I'm out in a public place and maybe a couple together or something and I'll, I'll see certain things or hear a little bit of conversation. And I would think in my heart and, and I try to follow up by giving them a gospel track, speaking to them, see if I can enter into conversation when it's appropriate to do so. I, I, I want to know, uh, or, or I think rather, what a difference Jesus can make in their life. You'll hear people making very bad value statements and things that tell you that their way of thinking is so far removed from the Bible. And I think, what a difference! Jesus can make in your life. I look at you this morning and I say, what a difference Jesus has made in some of your lives and what a difference He can continue to make. Some of you who are new to the Lord and new to being in church and around His Word, I'm excited for what God can do in you and through you. And so Jesus prays this way and He speaks that way. Look what, look what He says and going down with that, verse 5 again, please. It says, Now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee. How long? Before the world was. Excuse me, I jumped where I didn't mean to. Verse 4, I didn't finish it. I have glorified thee on the earth. Look at the end of it, I didn't finish it. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And I wanted to say to you that Christ is a finisher, not just a starter. Then the verse we just read. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto men. That just means made it open or known to them. <clears throat> which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. Now... They have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. That's what's supposed to, supposed to happen. Um, uh, Brother Carpenter prayed this morning. He asked, and I was caught by his words when he said, uh, Lord, let pastor give us not his words, but your words. That's a wonderful prayer, and that matches this. Uh, thou gavest me, and they, have and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have beloved, uh, believed rather that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And so he's, he's praying on behalf of those who believed and those who would believe. It's a different sort of prayer. For God's own, own people, saved by His grace, and who will be saved by His grace. It's interesting, these next verses. Verse 10, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. He's going to be crucified not long after this. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. I kept in thy name, excuse me, those that thou hast gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, which is a reference to Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas was a devil from the beginning. He was a thief. He had the bishopric. He had the title of the office. He had the religious position, but he was as lost as he could be. What a sad thing that is, isn't it? Verse 13, And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, 
but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. God does not teach isolation. He teaches separation unto God. He teaches sanctification, which is being set apart unto the Lord. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world again, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them, those that believe on him. That comes down to us into the world. Now watch this. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. The word sanctified means to be set apart for a purpose, for a cause. That's what that word is. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And so it wasn't just to those disciples there, it wasn't just to the apostles he chose, but it was to those who would believe on through the word and those who would believe on through their word. And this perpetuates to this very day to those of us here. It's directly for us. I, I tell you, this thing lit me up with a grin when I read it the other day. And here's why it was. I thought, forgive me, I'm going to use the word my convert. I know I don't save anybody in that, but somebody that I've got to give the gospel to and they believed on the Lord, there's an affectionate term is what I mean by it, so take it as that. But I thought, Jesus prays for my converts. Jesus prays for those that I tell the gospel about. That's what he said. He said he didn't pray just for these, but for those who would believe through their, their word. I love that. It keeps going and keeps going and keeps going because the Lord never ends. And, and, and I love the fact that he does that. Then uh, look, if you will, down. What verse did I end on? Where's that? Do you know? Do I know? 20, 20. Uh, there we go. Thank you. 21. That they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That's our, that's what brings us together. <laughs> There's probably more opinions than there are people in this room. This is an independent Bible-believing Baptist church. That means it attracts opinionated people. <laughs> we have opinions about our opinions often saying that's true. But the point, the point we're in common and the point that brings us together, the point we have agreement on is who Jesus is, what His Word is. And uh, in that we, that, in that we have agreement. And that's the, that's the idea of being one in Christ. That's what he's talking about there. Verse 23, or excuse me, 24 now. 23, I guess. I, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. So he said to the thief on the cross, wasn't it? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's always been. I want to take you where I'm going. I want to take you to glory. I want you to walk with me. Uh, a whole theme of our vacation Bible school, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The first night when this, this room full of young people lent, listened so attentively uh, with that was follow me. Jesus said, I want you with me. That's where everything begins with it. And so he, he prayed this prayer for us. And, and, and I love the fact that they did that. Uh, verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. 
that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. That's Jesus' high priestly prayer. That's Jesus going to us, to the Heavenly Father, saying establish them in this relationship and and, and build them in this. And as we read through there, there may be some things you say, I don't quite get that. That's fine. There's both milk and meat in that. There's a lot in that prayer. But Christ is saying, these are the people that I'm giving myself for. And He prayed and does pray on our behalf. May God help us to take as precious the people of God. Um, I, I had a little bit of a short fuse in an area, and I thought on it. Don't plan on changing it any. I don't act out in a bad and malicious way on it. But from time to time, it's not a real common thing. From time to time, as a preacher, someone who speaks to a bunch of people, I'll have someone take exception about something I say, or take, you know, they won't care like me because of what I say, or somebody will visit and don't want to come back, or maybe they'll even leave some kind of a thing about that. But here, that's, that's not an issue. Really, it isn't. Um, but when somebody starts running down you as a church body, that bothers me in a hurry. Well, nobody at that church still in the black bird is. I must confess to you, I have a hard time not being very sharp with my words when that starts to happen. I don't like to see God's people talked about that way. You say, well, don't you know that there are flaws in our church? I have pastored this church for 30 years. Do you think I know there are flaws in this church? You don't want to see the list I can write. But I see the struggle, the potentials, the heartaches, The glory that wants to show through, I get very upset. Well, that church just doesn't get off that kind of talk. That's the right of Christ you're talking about. Don't, don't ever come up to me and try to run down Mrs. Manning. Don't even do it. So, what if she's wrong about something? Huh? I'll tell you, I hope that I have the heart of my Lord in this. As an under-shepherd under the great shepherd, I don't want to hear people run down God's church. Well, people aren't what they seem to be. God knows what we are or aren't. Last time I checked, no one is built and no one goes forward and no one is strengthened by being run down. Honest rebuke, scriptural correction, specifically addressing something, what that needs to change and how it needs to change, if you're the appropriate person to be involved in that, yes. But not just running down. And God help us. It's temptation. It's a temptation to do that stuff. And that wouldn't be like Christ. When you read in John 17 about the love of you, you think Jesus didn't know about his disciples? Do you understand? you ever read about those fellows and what they acted like? When he was revealing to them the first time the depths of what he was going to go through at the crucifixion, how much he was going to suffer, they're just standing at the end of the table going, hey, who, who gets to be in charge? Literally. 
while he's trying to reveal the greatest truth ever shown to man. And these are the ones he's going to be sending out with the gospel. David told him to miss it. Fed 5,000 people. They get on a boat. He's trying to teach them doctrine. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's trying to teach them, don't be like the Pharisees are. and Their doctrine's like leaven, it'll spread. What do they come to? What conclusion do they come to? They start whispering. The Bible tells us. They whisper on the boat and they say, it's because we didn't bring in bread. <laughs> He's trying to teach them the spiritual truth. And they're like, oh, we forgot lunch. He's mad. And Jesus asked him, he says, don't you remember the 4,000, the loaves among the 4,000, how many baskets were taken up, the loaves among the 5,000? How is it you say, because we take no bread? And he's like, are you guys just totally missing this? The thing you brought out in Sunday school, Brother Andrew, with your, your uh, teaching time that you do in there, uh, you know, he goes and loves on Peter to restore him and love us on me more than these. Yea, Lord, I love you. Follow me again. Immediately, Peter turns around, looks at John, and says, What's this guy going to do? All Jesus is trying to get him to do is follow him. And Peter's like, Okay, I'll follow you. What's he doing? It's like sending your children to go clean their rooms or their areas they're supposed to clean, and one of them decides they're the supervisor for everybody else cleaning. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. So and so aren't cleaning their spot. Look up in here. Young person in here, guess who else isn't cleaning their spot while you think you're a supervisor? You're not. And you know, I'm just telling you, Christ prays for us. And we need it. He literally prays for us. Christ literally prays for us. We belong to Him. Have you consistently prayed for loved ones? I find that a convicting question to ask it because I know the answer from my own heart has to be, in many instances, negative. I have not. I can think of these great gaps. I can think of the times of taking some loved ones for granted just by the lack of intercession for them. Can I assure you something that will help your heart today? Your Savior has never neglected you. He loves you very much. And then Gethsemane, look at Mark 14, and just very briefly, the meat of the matter is Jesus' prayer there. I'm talking about the prayers of Jesus. But Mark chapter 14. Becoming more and more fascinated by the person of Christ. Mark chapter 14. Verse 32. I remind you, though, if you attend here regularly, you know this already. This place we're going to read about called Gethsemane means the pressing place, place of an olive press. It's where Christ was pressed under the burden of our sin. Verse 32, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And He, that's Jesus, saith to His disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And He taketh with Him Peter, James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Strong emotion, overwhelmed. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. And he's not exaggerating. The weight of all that's going to happen is coming upon him. Tarry you here and watch. Stay awake, pay attention is what he's saying. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. 
he knew of the suffering and the pain and the humiliation and the and, and the shame that was going to be cast upon him and not just the physical pain as if that were not enough but the rejection of the people and the hatred that would be shown to him the venom of the lost condition of man being spat towards him verse 36 and he said abba father it's an affectionate term it's like the term daddy it's a it's a it's a dear term and in this prayer of at a time of distress with Christ's life, you see the fact that he is heavily dependent on the fact of that close, precious relationship with the Father. Some of you grew up with the situation, as I grew up with the situation, where there wasn't that relationship with the earthly father. My dad often wouldn't come get us when it was his day to, to get us. Wouldn't show. Um, many, many different ways of neglect. But listen, our Heavenly Father is not like that. And uh, you say, I don't have a role model to see. Maybe you didn't on this earth, but you do have the Bible to reveal it to you. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, teach you about it. One of the most, most important things for you to grow, one of the most important things for you to stabilize and quit bouncing around all over spiritually is to get this thing learned from the Scripture that you have a Heavenly Father who actually cares for you and on whom you can depend. It's so vital. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. I believe there's probably a pause right there. And I have evidence of that because later he prays the same words and prays for an hour. Doesn't pray any more words than this. So there was some pause going on in this. So that's what he's facing is the man, Christ Jesus. But then look what he says. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. That's supplication. That's how we need to learn to pray. Something bigger than just our specific needs. Something bigger than just what we think needs fixed. God wants to grow us beyond the stage where much prayer is, which prayer is nothing more than giving God directions on how He ought to fix what we find uncomfortable. And God wants us to grow us way beyond that. Verse 37, And He cometh and findeth them sleeping. The last thing He had said to them was, Watch, stay awake, pay attention. And they come, they're sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? It had just been a little while before that when Peter said he would die with Christ, but he wouldn't deny him. But yeah, he couldn't stay awake an hour when he was asked to. And Jesus said, Peter, can you watch for an hour? Verse 38, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is ready. They wanted to do right, but the flesh is weak. He said, you, you're not strong. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. By the way, a big difference between that and vain repetition, which we are taught in the Bible that we are not to pray with vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their much speaking. Vain repetition is just a memorized or a rote type prayer where you're just saying the same words over and over again. You, you Actually, what you're doing is, and you may not realize this if you do that, what you're doing is you, you, you're doing the equivalent of trying to practice a magical incantation. You think that because of certain words, certain religious phraseology that you've learned, that somehow it has a magic effect. God wants to deliver you from any influence in your life of anything that has to do with magic, witchcraft, sorcery, any of that sort of stuff. He wants that completely away because it's always trying to blend with your Christianity. 
most of the false religions that claim the name Christian in some form or another have a big dose of mysticism, occultism mixed in with them one way or another. And so he said the same words, but it wasn't vain repetition. Give you an illustration. Will you forgive the weakness of illustrations like this? If you were trapped in a situation, and you were maybe something had happened, and you were trapped in a house or a building, you couldn't get out of it, and that thing you started smelling smoke and thought it might be on fire and you're stuck in there, may I suggest that you might scream help more than once? May I also suggest it would not be vain? <laughs> you would mean it every time you said it. You may go to your Heavenly Father for the same thing. And you may go with the same words. It only is a problem when it becomes vain, when it's just hollow words. When you think a religiously formatted speech is what God's looking for. That's where the problem comes in. And Jesus went. He spake the same words. Look, look what happened, verse 40. And when He returned, He found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer Him. They woke Him up again. They're, they didn't even have an answer for it. I mean, they're just like, my goodness. Fell asleep again. And He cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. It's enough. In other words, you're at your limit here. The hours come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Now, I believe there's a pause between verse 41 and verse 42 because he's looking down at his sleeping disciples. He makes that statement. And then, I don't know how long the pause may have been, but then he says, rise up. Why? Because those who were betrayed were coming. You could see the torches coming in the darkness. You could hear the crowd as they were coming to take him away. It had been revealed by Judas Iscariot that Jesus would be at this place where he often went. This was a place where he went regularly to pray. And he said, you can get him there. He'll be away from the crowds. There won't be a riot. That's where you can get him. And he had been betrayed at that point. And he, he said, okay. He said, you, uh, wake up now. We're going to have to we're going to face some things with it. And then finally, let me say to you, the prayers of Jesus, not only as our high priest in Gethsemane, but look in Luke chapter 23. And please uh, keep your interest alive to the end of this so that you, uh, you benefit from what God's got for you. Whatever other failings and flaws and weaknesses I have as your pastor, I, I take as a very serious thing feeding you. And I don't look for eloquence of words, but I am constantly, and I mean constantly, it's the searching and prayer of my heart, God, what does your church need this week? What does your church need at the next gathering? And that's it. A man used to attend here asked me how I came about my messages. I said, well, for reading, I don't go looking for messages. I go looking for God when I read. God gives us things. But I, I told him about that. I said, I literally, Lord, what do these folks need? Not do I have a good idea? Not this, but what do we need today? And so you say, why do you mention that? I, I mentioned that to you not to impress upon you the, uh, the integrity of the study. I, I, I say that to you to impress upon you how important it is for you to stay engaged to get what God has for you. Because God has something for you every time you come. He really does. He's got something for you that you can do. Luke chapter 23, is that where I told you? Let's look down on the cross. Verse 33, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, Glad I have a Bible that still has that word in it. You may be looking at something that's been changed and it might not have it. 
There they crucified Him and the malefactors, meaning those who had done evil, these criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, here He is on the cross, bloody, beaten, horribly dehydrated from blood loss, horrible racking pain. Father, what's the next word in verse 34? Forgive them. For they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots or gambling for his clothes down there while he's done it. Father, forgive them. Sometimes people struggle with just forgiving for the slightest offense. You'll never build stronger and thicker walls around yourself. You'll never subject yourself to more spiritual imprisonment than you will if you forget, if you refuse to forgive. While you seek to keep someone out by that action, all you've really done is enclosed yourself. Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. He said. Or people in that crowd were very intelligent people. There were people in that crowd that were statesmen and leaders. There were people in that crowd who were business owners and people capable of much things. Think what that crowd was. These were people everywhere from folks who begged for a living to the artisans of their day were there in that crowd. And yet he could say they don't know what they do because he said their problem is not intellect. Their problem is a lack of spiritual discernment. And God help us to look beyond just what we're seeing on the surface. I need that. You need that. Let's look beyond what's on the surface and see the need that's there. May God help us to be praying people. I told you before, our town needs this church. We need to be a praying church. We need to be a going church. But then undergirding everything that we do and all the activity in which we do, we get involved, we need to be a praying church. Why? Because our Savior was a man of prayer. If we're going to be like He was in this world, then God will teach us how to be a praying people. Let's pray together right now, please. Father, thank You for Your people. Thank You for the depth of the truth of Your Word. And Lord, uh, all along this message, there's been a message for me as I've delivered it. And for Your people as they've heard it. God, may we be responsive to You. And Lord, just because I know Your Word does this kind of thing, God, if You've pricked the heart of someone and shown them that they need You as their Savior today, Lord, may they just be honest with You. May they admit to You their sinful condition. God, help them just to call on You, Jesus Christ, to actually be their Savior and come into their life. Maybe a real transaction of faith where they trust You, please. Bless Your people. May we be a people of prayer. God, help us to grow. Lord, help us to grow. I am sorry, Lord, for my times of weakness of faith, shortness of vision. 
times of trying to do in the flesh what I should be committing to you. God, help us to be a praying people. God, help us to grow in this, I pray. Amen.